already talked about Palm Sunday. And in the book of Matthew, we find Jesus entering in Matthew chapter 21, verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And everyone asked the question, who is this? Imagine a whole city being stirred because of who Jesus is. Not who Jesus was, but who Jesus is. And each writer in the Gospels has insight about this. And in the Luke's Gospel, there was so much response to Jesus that the religious people of the day gathered together and said, quiet your people down. Who is this Jesus? Quiet people down. How about the rowdiest place to do life is in the church of God? The place where life is the most abundant in the house of God because in this place, this is where Jesus is. Maybe what we need is a deliverance from the more religious mindset where church has been so quiet for generations because maybe that was where Jesus was. But where Jesus is, come on, there should be life. There should be a sense that God is with us because that's where Jesus is. And I need you to know, church, that I started off in a place where I was raised in a place where I, I knew where Jesus was. I knew that thousands of years ago Jesus lived, but I had no idea that he could make a relevant difference in my life today. And now I'm standing here not because of what Jesus once did, but because of what he did for me. What has Jesus done for you? And that's what happened when these disciples began to come in and a crowd gathered. And so in John's gospel, the Pharisees said this. They said, look how the whole world has, has gone after Jesus. Think about that. When the religious people, when your enemies say, wow, Jesus must be in you. Jesus is in you. Even when, our, when we follow Jesus, God begins to move in a way that our enemies are made to live with peace about us and through us. And it's in this context that the title of the message I have today is this. Jesus is living water for a thirsty world. And, I, and in this message, I wanted to help you understand that we live in a thirsty world. And that word thirsty has even been, even in recent times, even in this generation, has it's been transformed into something that talks about lust and talks about desire, sexual desire and, and hunger. And we look at a world today where people are hungry for relevance and for love everywhere we look. And as we, as we enter into this Holy Week, this Easter week, there is no greater opportunity, not even at Christmas, to invite people to church. Statistics tell us that 81% of people would come to church on Easter Sunday morning if they simply were invited. Think about that in the thirsty world that we live in. If Jesus is the living water, I've realized that how can we reach our city? How can we reach Yorkshire? How can we reach our neighborhoods? And to answer that question, I want to lean in on one single moment in Jesus' life in John chapter 4. Where in one single moment, in one moment of leaning into Jesus, he literally takes this one life, rescuing one life at a time, and turns a whole region around for the glory of God. How about God doing that in our life? How about God using our lives to demonstrate the glory of God? And, and so to be able to explain this, I'm going to show you a pattern 
to help you understand the gospel and communicate it to people. And the pattern has four steps to it. And it's gonna come up behind me on the screens. And the first pattern, the first step is this, observation. The second step is this, conversation. The third step is this, invitation. And the fourth step is revelation. We're gonna break that down in the time that we have together. What I mean by observation is this. Observation means to notice or perceive something or someone and register it as significant. That's observation, okay? Now, in Jesus' life, in John chapter 4, let's start, start in verse 4. This is Jesus, and he's tired because he's walked a long way. And the Bible tells us the context is he had to go through Samaria. Samaria was this hated region where people were far from God. They had detestable practices. In other words, that region was a thirsty region. They didn't have life, and they were looking for life in unlikely places. And here's Jesus, and he sits down. He chooses a location, and he, and he sits down, verse 5 tells us, in a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. What Jesus did next was this simple fact. He observed people around him. What I mean by that is he discerned, he began to detect people, he began to discover people around him and watch them and look at them. In other words, Jesus loves to people watch. People watching is one of my favorite pastimes. I don't know about you, but I love to people watch. I love to get in an area and I'd sit someplace and just observe and watch what was going on. And that's Jesus. Jesus is literally, he sat down. He just gets a place and he just sits down and he starts looking at you. Go on, just look at the person next to you right now. Have a good look at them. Don't they look gorgeous? Now look at the person that you didn't choose on the other side. People watching. Okay, now that was uncomfortable. People watching makes you uncomfortable. It just does. Because this is what I've learned about observation. Observation is a two-way street. While you think you're observing someone else, the people that you're observing are looking at you. Think about that. I used to think that observation made you invisible. It's like, if, if I'm looking at somebody that can't see back, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you just go to a place and you sit on a bench. And I started off like this because, uh, you know, you know my background. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. In fact, my, my room and my life and where I was raised is more like hell than heaven. Come on, somebody. Can you relate to that? And so when I found Jesus, I wanted everybody to know who Jesus was. So my observation technique was I just got in a little park bench, bus bench near my music conservatory by the bus stop. And I just sat down and started to watch people and, and just started to think about this. And when I, when I look, read John chapter 4, I realized what Jesus was doing, observing, is what we can do in our environment all the time. And this observation meant that as Jesus, people watched, what was he doing? He was studying body movement, body language, facial expression, the words that people would choose. He, he was studying that. How do I know that? Because what happened next was he starts a conversation with this woman. But before I talk about that, 
I wanted to let you know that when you start to observe people, observation and what you're observing about them can lead to a place where you can have an opportunity to share how great God is. That's gotta be our goal. Our goal has gotta be that our observations lead to the next step. And without this motivation, without this tremendous passion for Jesus, without this love and realization that if we don't share who Jesus is, if we don't communicate how great God is, people are not going to understand how great he is. And that revelation, that understanding, that's on you and me. That's on you and me. And you might just say, Steve, that's like really hard. You're being hard on us. No, I'm not. That's the wonder and the joy of serving Jesus. When you have the opportunity and you create this space through your observations to share how good God is, you will sense the presence of God. Maybe not at first. Maybe not in the first sentence. But in the end, you'll sense in this conversation, you'll sense the presence of God in a way that is so beautiful. You'll be more excited about that than you ever were about singing in the worship on a Sunday morning. Why, why is that? Why is that? It's because we can worship forever in heaven. And I'm so grateful for our live church worship team, but let's face it. The worship team in heaven is gonna be at another level, somebody. I'm grateful for what we bring here, but when we get to heaven, I mean, we're gonna be in a place of worship that's gonna be amazing. But the sadness is, we're gonna be thinking in our worship in heaven throughout eternity, who is it on the earth that we failed to observe, that we failed to share with, that we failed to connect with, that we failed to love because we were so busy with our activities of our nine to five or our, the things that occupied our time. No, I'm saying this, I am re-entering the room of rescue and I'm observing this week and I will step out in faith this week and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that'll save people today. And you say, well, Steve, you know, I'm working, I work in an office place, and you know, my role is this, and I'm a teacher. I mean, all those things are important. But the single task that God has given to the church is that we would all do the work, and here it is, this is the work of evangelism. Okay, we're not evangelists, I get that. But the church's work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ has to be our motivation. And I know some people are like, oh, I'm not so sure about that, Steve. I'm not so sure I have the, the, the ability to share God's news. Well, let's just make it really practical today and look at Jesus. Because here he is, he observes what's in someone's hand. Look at what's in people's hands. And then you'll discover what's in their heart. When you look at their hand and you look at their, their life, what they're carrying... When you look at what they're talking about and what they're communicating about, that's an indication of what's in their heart. And here's Jesus sitting through observation, which leads to this next step that I wanted to talk about, which is simply this, conversation. And Jesus looks and he says this in verse seven. He says to the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? Why did he say that? Because she's at a well. He noticed what was in her hand and he thought about it and he had a conversation. But I think as he thought about it, he must have realized that Jacob's well was built generations ago. And all those Samaritans that were hated, they didn't understand how good God was. And there was a loss of understanding of God's goodness through the generations. And here's a woman 
ready to draw from a well, and she knew it was Jacob's well. She knew there was an origin that went way back to Abraham, the father of faith, but she didn't understand how good God was. Oh, let that never be us. Let that never be us that we allow a generation to come up after us that have forgotten how good God is. That a generation comes up after us, they don't understand the greatness of God. All the things that we've seen in our lifetime. Have you ever seen God bring his healing power to somebody? Has God ever provided financially for you? Has God ever used you to lead something, a project or a great idea? Well, those things can't be lost in your lifetime. They've got to be passed on, church. They've got to be communicated to the next generation. And here's Jesus. He's sitting at the well, and he realizes, oh, my God, they've lost touch with my Father God. And this woman, this Samaritan woman, even as she's drawing water from a well, which is what she did every day, she had no idea how good God was, that God was only a prayer away. We live in a generation today, I want you to know this, in Yorkshire and in the, in the north of England that have lost touch with how good God is, but not you and I. Not you and I. Let us never be those that lose touch with the goodness of God. And even as I'm saying that, I want you to pray. If right now, you need to remind yourself in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a struggle, how good God is. Have a conversation with yourself right now. Have a conversation and say, no, my God is good. My circumstances might be rubbish, but my God is good. My God's gonna bring me through this situation. When Jesus was observing, he was tired. He wasn't observing from a place of, wow, I've been on this amazing holiday and vacation. No, he was tired, but he was having a conversation with himself about how good God, his father, is to provide a well in the desert. And as he's having a conversation, he begins to talk to somebody who really is thirsty and needs to understand how good God is. When you have that self-talk, God will let you go to the next level. And here he is, and he has this conversation and Jesus, in his genius, his conversation is about what's in her hand. It's about what's in her heart. And he asks her about the water. He asks her about the very thing that she's craving. And she doesn't even understand it about herself yet. That's how God reached me. God began to speak to me about things I didn't even understand yet. And I used words that I didn't understand, like Jesus. I don't understand who Jesus is. I didn't understand who he was when I was 19 years old. I didn't understand that Jesus is the life that I've been seeking. And there are many people today, they hear the word Jesus, but they don't understand the connection between Jesus being the life giver, Jesus being the alpha and the omega. They don't make the connection. So church, we have to make the connection. It's like when you work in the, um, in the realm of electricity. You've got to join the, the wires together before the power flows. And in a conversation, you have to help people connect with what you're saying. And you've got to have that connection first with them so there's a connection where they know that you love them and they're for them. And then a connection happens. Once a connection happens, that's all we have to do. We have to connect in a conversation because once we connect, guess what happens next? God's power begins to flow. Oh, if we understood this church, if we understood the power of connection, the power of this, this church and churches like it in the north of England would already be full to overflowing many times over. Because the enemy, what's he wants to do? He wants to, he wants to separate us from that power of connection. 
He wants to remind you of your past. He wants to remind you of your past mistakes. He wants to remind you of when you failed him, but I'm standing here today by the grace of God to remind the devil I am still connected to Jesus. We are still connected to him because of his blood. We have a connection. And the connection that me and Jesus have it's not changed by somebody that comes up and says, oh, I don't like your God, or I don't understand your God. I don't lose my connection with Jesus when I'm in a confrontational situation with somebody. And what I've learned is this, that through observation, I can learn how to love someone. And if I can learn to do that through observation, I'll avoid argumentation. Church, we shouldn't get in arguments with people because we're not trying to win their heads. We're not trying to win their minds. We're going after their heart. We're going after their soul. And so it's not a clever conversation that we need with somebody. It's about taking somebody on a journey so they understand how much God loves them and how much he cares for them. And I don't know how many people here have ever been, been led or used by God to reach somebody for Jesus and you'll be able to pray a prayer of salvation. And so I wanna help us in this cycle that observation will lead to a conversation, which leads us to invitation, right? And if you're not yet having invitations, if you're not yet having conversations, well, let's just back up and see where we are in the cycle. And by invitation, I mean this. An invitation is a request to invite someone to go somewhere significant, that's what an invitation is. You know, we have those when we have a wedding. We get the wedding invitation. I've got a few this last couple weeks. Come to my wedding. It's this beautiful, you know, invitation that's prepared in an envelope and it's, it's graphically designed and it looks beautiful. You know, that's it's great. And then often, you know, we get an invitation to go to a, a concert, like a, a, a pop concert or a sporting match. And the tickets look amazing, don't they? You pay a lot of money for them sometimes. And you get this ticket, and you know, I once went to a, a game at Manchester United. Come on, somebody. And, and this Manchester United ticket I had was a, it was actually a season pass a friend of mine had, and it was a golden ticket, literally a golden card, like a credit card that got me access behind the scenes. And I think about all the different ways that the world values invitations, and then I think, God, what's our invitation like? to the most important, most significant experience that people could ever experience, which would lead to eternal life. So our invitation that takes people on a journey to eternal life is so much more significant than anything else we could ever do. And so it deserves time. It deserves examination. What's your invitation like? Is your invitation full of imagination? Because Jesus' was. Jesus is like, he's talking about water, and I want you to read this in, in John chapter four, and, and he says this to the woman. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, that's an imagination invitation, don't you think? I'm like, here's a woman literally drawing water and suddenly Jesus is like, you're thirsty for living water and I'm ready to give it to you. I mean, let's have some of those conversations and invitations. So when you're inviting people to your Easter dinner party, don't tell them that you burned the dinner last night. 
Don't tell them that you don't know how to cook and you're gonna throw a couple things in the oven and pray something turns out good. That's not a powerful imagination invitation. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, for our invitation this week, we've had to be a little bit creative because I'm actually doing a little extension on uh, we had to rip our kitchen out. So, you know, having an invitation without a kitchen is not easy. So it's just simple. We just dumped it on some of our best friends and said, we're inviting people to your house. Get used to it. We're coming. <laughs> because imagination means you find a way forward because you realize your motivation is so significant that it outweighs whatever the inconvenience is of the moment because we've got to get through this for the sake of the future. So invitation is so important. And this invitation that, that Jesus began to talk to her about had a double meaning. There was water in the well, but there was dryness in her soul. There's always a double meaning to an invitation. Think about that for a minute. When Jesus invites you, when he invited this woman, he was identifying a deeper, a deeper need that she had in her life. How about we invite people like that, understanding their deeper need before we even bring that invitation? Understand the deepest need in somebody's heart is not just to get through their life and earn a few thousand pounds a month, but there's a deeper need in people, an inbuilt need to make a difference in the heart of humanity. When you understand that people just don't want to exist, they want to make a difference in life, things change. The reason why this church exists is to help people make a difference. It's not just turn up on a Sunday. No, it's be equipped on a Sunday for a move of God on a Monday. It's turn up on a Sunday so you can find strength for your tomorrow. It's like that's the mindset that we have to get into. And finally, we get to this last point, which is this, revelation. In this simple invitation that Jesus had in a short conversation, and this short conversation that just lasted moments. I mean, it wasn't a long conversation. It wasn't a week-long conversation. It was literally a less than 30-minute conversation. We get to the place, and we can read it in verse 26. When Jesus said, I am the one, I am the Messiah speaking to you. I am he. And just at that moment, we see the power of revelation in action. The disciples returned. And they were surprised to find Jesus in a conversation with a hated person. Think about that. They observed Jesus having a conversation, bringing that person an invitation that violated their religious mindset. Their religious mindset was, we can't invite them. We, you can't invite a hated person. You can't invite that homosexual to church. You can't invite that person. How dare we put a label on somebody that's thirsty, that's hurting, how, how dare we do that as, as somebody who's experienced the grace of God? It's not our right, it's not our privilege. To those far from God, we need to say, look, if God can love me, if God can accept me, there's hope for you too. And it's in this moment when the disciples were so surprised and they were having a conversation, I imagine, Peter turning to Thomas, saying, what the heck is going on there? John, the one that Jesus loved, is like, What's happening? There's a, there's a conversation going on, and they were even more shocked. They were even more shocked with what happened next. Because as the woman has the water in her hand, I mean, she's got it in her hand. She, she drops the water, and she runs away. She runs back to the village she came from. 
Why did she do that? Because she'd experienced the living water of Jesus. She'd received the living water in her soul. She didn't need that old water anymore because she had something that was now everlasting and eternal. And she goes back to this place that she was from. And she goes back and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now that's a powerful invitation. What about saying to people, come on a Sunday with me to Easter Sunday. Come to an Easter Sunday service, not so that you can come to a great service because I need you to know, People need more than a service, they need Jesus. People need more than a worship experience, they need an encounter with Jesus Christ. What about that is your powerful invitation? Come on somebody, somebody needs to grab this because this is the life preserver, this is the life buoy we're talking about. And this revelation is so important, so, so important, because this is what God wants to do in all of our lives. And we talked about this and we prayed about it last week. God wants to take your life and put a pole in your hand. Why are we calling this Palm Sunday? What if God takes a pole, puts it in your palm, and says, now go fishing this week? Use that this week. What, what about you dangle your bait this week for people, right? I don't wanna hit anybody on the front row, but it makes my point. <laughs> you see, the bait that we have is not like you know, come to church, we're gonna give you a, we're gonna give you a, a, you know, a cup of coffee, or you know, come to church, we're just gonna give you something to get by. No, Jesus, Jesus is our hook. He's our everything, do you understand that? He is eternal life. So I've watched God put poles in the palms of people's hands that some would say are insignificant, that some would say are too far gone to make a difference. But when God puts a pull in your palm to make a difference, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. What matters is what God says through you and over you and about you, and you stand up to make that difference. So what I'm saying is observation. Observe this week. Have conversations, have invitations that help people come to a revelation which finally brings us to the end of this John chapter four verse story where Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe and white unto harvest. You know, when the Bible says this, it says that in the English standard version, the fields are white unto harvest. You know, when, when harvest time comes, fields, wheat is actually gold. But when wheat begins to turn from gold to white, what it means is, it's so ripe that if it's not harvested literally that day, it'll be ruined for tomorrow. And what we're realizing is this, a revelation needs to be this, that right now people are so ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are so on the edge, they so need Jesus, that if we don't step in as God's hand and feet to be Jesus, people really could literally be ruined if we don't step into a place of authority and understand who God has called us to be.